Grace you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Our sermon text this morning is from Exodus chapter 20. It's the fifth of the ten words. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. The word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Almighty God, our Father, we pray that you would teach us to honor you as your children, and so teach us to honor our earthly parents whom you have given to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The fifth word is honor your father and your mother. It seems so Victorian, so 1950s. It seems like such a conservative, traditionalist commandment. And especially when you look at the way that it's expanded in the Reformed catechisms. It's not just telling us that we have to honor and obey and submit to parents but also to honor and obey and submit to all other authorities that have been placed over us. This is a prescription for a traditionalist, conservative, static society. In our current situation, though, the fifth word is a radically counter-cultural commandment. It doesn't conserve our current culture, our current legal system, It subverts it. It stands against it. It assumes a counter-cultural creed and set of values. It assumes the goodness of authority. Parents have authority and children should obey them. Our culture is largely organized around the creed question authority. The fifth word assumes a hierarchy. There are some people that deserve honor, More than others, we live in an age of equality. We don't believe that we should honor our betters because we're offended by the fact that we might have betters. We major on consent. As long as you consent, as long as some relationship or some kind of activity is chosen, it's okay. The fifth word assumes the goodness and the obligatory force of unchosen relationships. You did not choose your parents. Your parents were given to you, and yet you're to submit to them. We believe in self-made men and women. We believe in individuals isolated from everyone else who make our own way in the world. The fifth word reminds us of our dependence. We did not create ourselves. We came from our parents. This commandment assumes a familiar structure that's at odds with and contrary to what many experience in our world today. Both parents are assumed to be present. That's still true in most American families. The majority of American families are two-parent families. But a proportion, a growing proportion of our families in this country are not two-parent families, single-parent families, mostly single-mother families. More than a third, 40% nationwide. And the situation is worse in some subcultures, subcommunities in our country. Fully three quarters of African American families are single parent households. 
The commandment assumes that we're to honor father and mother. They're both in the singular. One father, one mother. But many people today grow up, maybe you have grown up, in a family that's made up of the fragments of pre-existing families. Children are yours, mine, and ours. You have two fathers and two mothers. Maybe that's maybe you have many more. The commandment assumes one father, one mother, one of each sex. A man is the father. A woman is the mother. Used to be you didn't have to say that when you were talking about the fifth commandment. But you've got to say that today. Because same-sex marriages and same-sex families are a growing phenomenon in our world. This commandment assumes a, a world in which parenthood is a given. If you exist, you had parents. But that's no longer obvious, or at least the connection between the people that you live with and yourself, the biological connection, might be broken. You might be genetically related to both parents, but were never carried by your mother. You might be a child of your parents, but not be genetically or biologically related to them at all. Of course, this is the case, at least with current technology, it's the case with same-sex families. Their children cannot be the children of both parents. And the law is scrambling to catch up. Family law is changing so that more and more families are determined, described in kind of contractual terms. The relationship between parent and child is not a biological, natural kind of relationship, but a legal one. Adoption becomes the paradigm for all families. Of course, adoption is a great blessing to many children. But family law is changing so that adoption becomes the paradigm. The idea of a natural family, where two parents are biologically related to a set of children, is no longer a given in our world. Families are broken today. But of course, families have been broken from the beginning. Families have been broken since Eden. As soon as Adam sinned, the first thing he did was turn accuser. He turned into a Satan. The word Satan means accuser. He turned accuser and accused his wife Eve of giving him the forbidden fruit. Talk about a dysfunctional family. The first firstborn son ever killed the secondborn son ever. Families have been broken from the beginning. That brokenness is nothing new, although it takes new forms in our world. I think this is the reason why Jesus so, says so many shocking things about family. You want to be my disciple? Hate your father and your mother. A disciple comes and says, I need to go bury my father. And Jesus says, let the dead bury their dead. Don't fulfill that filial duty to your father. Come follow me. When his parents, when his mother and his brothers want to come see him, he keeps them on the margins and says, who is my mother? Not Mary, standing out there and outside the house. These disciples are my mother and my brothers and my sisters. Jesus isn't anti-family, but Jesus comes into a world of broken families, broken families that can be an obstacle to discipleship, broken families that might have to be resisted and opposed if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus. The family ties we have might be, and in some many cultures are, enormously powerful obstacles to following Jesus. You don't follow Jesus because your parents will turn against you. Your brothers and sisters will turn against you. The clan of which you're part might try to kill you. 
So you keep your faith secret. But Jesus doesn't come to break apart families for the sake of breaking them up. He doesn't say, hate your father and mother and leaves it there. Jesus creates a new family, the church, all brothers and sisters of one another, all children of one father. And it's within the church, the new family of Jesus, that families are repaired and put together. The church is the new family in the setting where the natural family can be uh, killed, broken apart, and put back together. Baptism is the entry into this family. And baptism is death. In order to come into this family, the family of Jesus Christ, the family of the Heavenly Father, your family has to die and be drowned in the waters of baptism and then be repaired and put back together in the Spirit within the body of Christ, within the family of Christ. If we're going to keep the fifth word today, it's not just a matter of obeying the surface obvious force of that. I want to, I'll talk about that in a moment. But if we want to obey, obey the fifth word today, we have to carry out a mission of restoring and repairing families. There is a huge, huge mission field of broken families all around us, on our doorstep. And I mean on our doorstep. A couple years ago, a life insurance company did an analysis of cities in this country, over 100,000 residents, and found that Birmingham, Alabama, is number two in the incidence of single-parent families. 72% of families within Birmingham, not within the larger Birmingham area, but within the city, 72%, based on 2017 census figures, 72% were single-parent families. We were second only to Rochester, New York, in the incidence of broken families, single-parent families. If we're going to keep the fifth word, we have to be working, carrying out a mission to broken families, seeking to restore both the assumptions that the fifth word, uh, that are embodied in the fifth word, and to restore the social and familial structure that the fifth word assumes. Two-parent families, parents that stay married to one another, Two-parent families with children that are theirs. Two-parent families that have both parents staying permanently with their children. Respect for authority. The goodness of hierarchy. The obligation of unchosen relationships. This is one of the biggest mission fields that we have, and it's right on our doorstep. But to carry out that mission, of course, we need to be ourselves obeying the fifth word. Honor your father and your mother. What does that mean? What does it mean to honor your father and your mother? The Hebrew word honor is the same word that's used throughout the Bible to describe our acts of praise and worship to God. It's the word glorify. It's a version, it's a form of the word glory. When the glory of the Lord appears in the tabernacle, when the glory of the Lord appears on Mount Sinai, it's, the, it's a form of this same word. Glorify your father and mother. And that's not just an accidental verbal connection. It's not an accident that the Lord uses the same word to describe our relationship with our parents that he uses to describe how we're to praise and honor him. It's not an accident because our parents bear the authority that they do because it comes from God. There is only, literally speaking, one father. That's what Ephesians 3 tells us in our epistle reading today. 
all the families of the earth, all the fathers of the earth are named from one father. There's only one source of life. Your parents aren't the ultimate source of your life. Your heavenly father is by his spirit. And all other parents are parents because they symbolize and share in the authority and the creativity of our heavenly father. God in his grace and mercy has decided that he's not going to be the only father. This is how he glorifies himself as father, by creating millions and millions of fathers and mothers, by sharing his creative power. That's how he glorifies himself. That's the root of our authority as parents. That's the root of our creativity as parents. And that's why I think the fifth word is part of the first table of the law. The first five commandments make up a group of commandments. The second five make up another group. The first five commandments are about loving God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. The second five are about loving your neighbor as yourself. But the fifth word seems to be moving away from that theme, moving away from honoring God to honoring other human beings. And it is. It's a kind of transitional commandment within the ten words. But it's also linked up with the first four commandments, which have to do with honoring God. Honoring parents means honoring the Heavenly Father, who has established your parents, whom your parents represent and symbolize, honoring your heavenly father whose authority your parents bear. So that helps us to fill out what it means to honor your father and mother. Glorify your father and mother as you glorify God. Well, how do we glorify God? What does that mean? We glorify God by praising him, by speaking well of him, here at church, in our prayers to one another. And so we can ask, how do you talk about your parents? Do you speak well of them? Do you honor them with your words? Do you criticize them, grumble about them? Do you act like you know better than they do? Do you glorify them the way you would glorify God? How do we glorify God? We glorify God by serving him, priests, Stand and serve in the house of the Lord. And the Proverbs tell us to stand in the presence of the aged. Stand in the presence of parents who have authority over us. That's a posture of service. Children should be ready to serve their parents. Standing in their presence like priests. Attending on them. The word glory comes from a word that means weight. God is weighty and we should... Uh, give weight to our parents. How do we do that? By Partly by listening to them. By treating their words as weighty words. By seeking out their advice and counsel and taking those words seriously. So the question is, if you want to honor your parents, how much weight do you give to their words? As opposed, for example, to the words you might hear from other sources. Your friends, your peers. People you barely know on Instagram. People you don't know at all on YouTube. Who has weightier words for you? Your parents or somebody else? We glorify God by trusting him. By entrusting him with our lives. By trusting that he'll provide for us. By trusting that even when we're not sure what he's doing, he's doing us good. And if we want to glorify or honor our parents, then we should have the same trust in them. We honor our parents by trusting that 
even if we don't understand the rules and regulations that they give us, they have a good reason for imposing them on us. We honor our parents by trusting them, by trusting them to give us what we need, by asking for what we need, by trusting that they're leading us into in the way of life and wisdom. We honor and glorify God by responding to his correction. He's our kind Heavenly Father. And if we're true sons and daughters, then he disciplines us. That's what Hebrews 12 says. If we're true sons and daughters, then he's going to discipline and, and, and cause suffering in our lives for our good. And if we resent the obstacles that God places in our way, if we get mad when God is disciplining us, no, not picking any, out anybody in particular at this moment, if we're mad at God if he's disciplining us, then we're not honoring and glorifying him as God. And if we respond to our parents' correction and discipline with resentment or anger, then we're not honoring our parents. Notice that the commandment mentions both parents, father and mother. This is a constant refrain in the Bible. The Bible is not father-centered. The Bible, biblical family is not a father-centered family. Jesus quoted it in our gospel reading. Whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. Proverbs constantly warns the son, this is the father talking to his son, tells him not only to listen to him, to his instruction, but also listen to the Torah, the instruction of his mother. His mother also has a law. Pay attention to it. Glorify both father and mother. You see, your parents have a mission from God. This is both to you children who are young in your parents' home and also the parents. You have a mission from God. You have been entrusted with the lives of your children for a time. And your mission is not to make sure that they reach kind of roughly middle or upper middle class in American life. Your goal is to lead them in the way of life and wisdom as the Bible defines it. That's what you're supposed to be doing. And you children can make that easier or more difficult for your parents. They have a mission, and if you're constantly setting up obstacles and making it difficult for them to carry out their mission, then you're not being led in the way of life and wisdom. You're being led in the way of folly, which leads to death. That's why there's a promise. Paul says it's the first commandment with a promise. There's a promise attached here. Honor your father and mother that your days may be prolonged at the land which the Lord your God gives you. This isn't an arbitrary command that's attached to this commandment. It's not like if you do your homework, I'll give you, get you an ice cream cone. This is like if you do your homework, you'll get a good grade. There's a natural connection between the commandment and the promise. If you honor your parents and your parents are doing what they are supposed to do, leading you in life and wisdom as disciples of Jesus Christ, then if you honor them and honor their mission and submit to their mission, then you will be led in the way of life and wisdom. The promise will be fulfilled. Uh, kind of, It's inherent in the commandment itself. If you resist them, you're only harming yourself. You're on the way to folly. I suspect that some of you parents are feeling pretty good right now. Maybe you had a little altercation with your kids getting ready for church today. A little dispute, a little tussle in the car. And then come in and there's a sermon on the fifth commandment. God, God is so good. Okay. God is speaking to my kids. Isn't it great? 
But of course, the addressees of the fifth commandment, the original addressees are not just little kids. Most of the people that are gathered at the foot of Sinai are adults. And this commandment is given to them, too. I would say given to them primarily. This is a word not just for little kids or teenagers. This is a word for adults. We are all children. And all of us have to obey this commandment. Of course, this changes as time goes on. When you become an adult, you don't respond to your parents in the same way. You aren't supposed to relate to your parents in the same way that you did when you were a small child. Of course not. But you never, never outgrow this commandment. You never outgrow the need to glorify your parents in a way that's analogous to the way you might glorify and the way you do and should glorify God. So you adult children, all of us who are adults are adult children. How do you speak about your parents? Do you ever hear a little echo of criticism that you've uttered about your parents from your kids? That perhaps they learned it from you? Is that possible? How do you talk about your parents? Do you dwell on the mistakes that they made when they were raising you? Do you talk about them critically or bitterly? Or do you make a point of praising them? Some parents don't carry out the mission that they're given from God. Some parents are very bad parents, abusive parents. And that makes this commandment very difficult to obey, but it doesn't cancel the need to obey it. Even if you had bad parents, you're responsible to glorify them, and that means to speak well of them. Not to gloss over sin, not to pretend but to speak well of them and find ways to honor them. You adult children, do you still give weight to your parents' words? Or are you so glad that you're out of the house, so glad that you're grown up, you don't have to listen to those people anymore. They're so old now. They're stuck in the past. I don't have anything to learn from them. You're disobeying the fifth word. Do you trust their advice? Do you trust them to give you good advice? Do you look for opportunities to serve them. That particularly, I think, is a demand of the fifth commandment. Did you notice in the gospel reading, Jesus gets into an altercation with the Pharisees about washing, and he brings up another case where they replace the commandment of God with their own traditions. And he cites the fifth word, honor your father and mother. What, how are they breaking that commandment? By dishonoring their parents, by speaking badly of them, by cursing them? Now Jesus says they're dishonoring their parents and they're breaking the commandment and replacing it with the tradition because they're taking the money that they should be using to support their aging parents and they're devoting it to God. With a show of piety, they're saying, this is korban. This is an offering to God. And instead of helping my parents with it, I'm going to give this big donation to some charity while my parents are suffering with nothing, with barely, barely eking by. Looks like a pious act, but Jesus says it's a violation of the fifth word. Not, not kind of a secondary, not kind of a, a, a secondary application of the fifth word. They are violating the fifth word and replacing it with a tradition of men. Our Old Testament lesson touched on this too. Ezekiel 22, it's a, it's a portrait of a bloodthirsty city. The bloody city is full of injustice and violence. 
It's full of oppression of widows and orphans. It's full of really bad things like dishonor to parents. In the midst of all these social evils, Ezekiel condemns the city because people don't honor their parents. And it's right next to the condemnation of people for oppressing the orphans and the widows. I mean, that widow who's being oppressed might be your mother. Caring for your aging parents is part of providing for orphans and widows, providing for the weak, providing for the marginal. It's part of the mercy mission of the church to care for your parents. And that is, Jesus says, is a direct application, a direct implication of the fifth word. Leviticus 19.3 says, You shall revere your father and your mother, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. Leviticus 19 doesn't know the difference between the fifth word and the fourth word. Those are put right next to each other. They're part of the same section of Leviticus 19. Honor your father and mother, keep my Sabbaths. How are the two connected? When we looked at the Sabbath a few weeks ago, we saw that the Sabbath is not just about taking rest for yourself on the day of rest, but it's about giving rest and giving relief. You're supposed to do that to your parents, first of all. Your first obligation to give relief is to your parents. So honoring your parents with your money, honoring your parents with your wealth, caring for them, is an essential part of keeping this commandment. And withholding it, Jesus says, is a violation of the fifth commandment. I've said before in looking at the ten words that all of the verbs in the ten words are in the second person masculine singular. These are all thou shalt not or thou shalt commandments, with thou being addressed to an individual. Honor thy father and thy mother as if the Lord is speaking to one person. But he's speaking to hundreds of thousands of people. The reason he's addressing them as one is because they are his son. Israel is his son, his redeemed son. The son that he's brought out of captivity in Egypt. And now he's addressing his son and telling his son how to live before him. In that context, honor your father and mother takes on another dimension. Glorify your father, Yahweh your father, Yahweh the father of Israel who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And once we see that, then we can see how how uh, it's filled out in the New Testament because Jesus is the true Israel. Jesus is the true son. Jesus is the son who keeps all of the commandments who doesn't violate a single one of the commandments, whose life is an embodiment of obedience to his Father. Jesus embodies obedience to the fifth word as he embodies obedience to all of the other commandments. Jesus honors his Father, his heavenly Father above all. Jesus honors Israel, his mother. He honors his mother Mary, but he also honors Israel, his mother. Even when it costs him his life, Even when his father sends him on a mission that will send him to a cross, Jesus honors his father, yet not what I will, but what you will. But when we start thinking about this commandment in the light of the gospel story, we start seeing another dimension to it, too. Jesus glorifies his father, even to death. And the father turns around and glorifies him. Jesus says that this is the beginning of his high priestly prayer, Glorify your son, even as I will glorify you. There's this exchange of glory. Jesus, the son, honors the father. And the father lifts up and honors the son. 
The family life of the Trinity is a family life of mutual honor. And that should characterize your life too. That should characterize your families. That's what you should aspire to. In any healthy family, this is going on anyway. You know, when your kids are really little, you say, you try to enforce, you've got to honor me, you've got to obey me, you've got to do what I say, honor me. They get to a certain age, acquire their own abilities, acquire their own life, and all you want to do is tell everyone about how great they are. You want to talk about your kids all the time. That's what's happening in the Trinity. Jesus, the Son, honors his Father. The Father doesn't want to say anything about himself. He wants to talk about how great his son is. That's what your family should aspire to, so that your family can become a little outpost in the world, a little revelation in the world, in a world of broken families, a little revelation of the eternal family, Father, Son, and Spirit. That's ultimately what the first, the fifth word is aiming at, that your families would be conformed to the original family and would be on earth a symbol of the fellowship and communion and mutual honor of Father, Son, and Spirit. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray together. Almighty God, our Father, we thank you that you have spoken to us in your word. We thank you that you have spoken to us in your Son, and that by your Son you revealed to us what it means to honor and glorify you. We pray that we would be faithful children, honoring and glorifying our parents, honoring and glorifying you, our Father. And we praise you for the great privilege that we have, that in Christ you honor and glorify us together with him. We pray that you give us more and more, uh, help us more and more to obey this fifth word and so show forth your glory and your love in the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.